Well, picture the businessman who calls himself a Christian but regularly cheats his customers. Or picture the student who attends youth group and church, but at school they never speak or act like a follower of Jesus. Picture a woman who wears a gold cross all the time, but gossips without restraint and slanders. Picture a young adult who claims to be a Christian, but regularly sleeps around. Picture the retiree who's been a lifelong member of the church, and yet whose primary love is known to everyone, their love is money. In all those different circumstances, we sense there's a problem, that it's not right, that that the claim to, to faith, when it's not backed up by life decisions, is inconsistent and unacceptable. And so when we, when we experience some of those individuals that I just described, or maybe even we are tempted on some days to be those individuals, right? There should be a disconnect where we say, hold on, this is not what God has called us to as Christians. I know I wasn't made for that. As we've been walking through 1 John together, you know, John is concerned with our spiritual health And he's connecting that concern to doctrinal concerns, what we believe about God and about Jesus, about the work of the Spirit, what we understand and know to be true of ourselves, and how we should then respond to that truth, how we live in light of that truth. And so there's a a heavy warning in 1 John against hypocrisy, against claiming one thing, claiming to be a follower of Jesus, and yet the the details, the, the, the decisions we make in our lives, right, the practical reality saying something very different. You see, in the first century, the people to whom John was writing initially, uh, there was a, a new doctrine that had cropped up, and it was finding uh, an audience in the church. This, you know, the church was new, but in that newness, there was some uh, renegade teaching that came in. And the particular form of this teaching, it's called Gnosticism, okay? It's all about the special knowledge. And the idea was, you know what? There is a small, really small group of people that have this special knowledge of the universe, and that special knowledge constitutes their salvation. In fact, it doesn't matter how you live. You can do whatever you want on Friday night. You can do whatever you want at work. You can do whatever you want. Say whatever you want at school. It doesn't matter what you do on vacation or how you spend your retirement. You can do whatever you want. As long as you have this knowledge, then you're in the club. And John's concern is, not only is that dangerous, it is false. Like That is not the gospel. That is not what Jesus has called us to as his followers. It's not true or right. This morning, our passage of Scripture that we'll look at challenges us to ask the question, wait a minute, if I say I know God, if I claim to be a follower of Jesus, right? if I believe I am in fellowship with him, does my life back up that claim? All right, John is not writing this to scare us, but he's writing it to guide us and to protect us. So, statistically speaking, you're at a worship service or you're watching online a worship service, it is most likely that you would probably claim to be a follower of Jesus, right? If you wouldn't claim that, we're glad you're here. We hope that you enjoy the experience. And if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you about that uh, later for sure. But most of us would say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. So this passage is for us, right? And again, it's not meant to scare you, 
although it is meant to confront what may be hypocrisy in our hearts, right? John wants to guide us and walk us through, okay, how do we handle this? How should we respond to this kind of attitude where all that matters is what I know, but I can live however I want, right? So he says, that's not going to work for the Christian life, and let's, let's, walk, let's walk it through. Let's talk about it, okay? So we're going to pick up uh, John's teaching in chapter 2, verse 3. You'll remember we covered verses 1 and 2 last week, and he talks about Jesus Christ being our advocate and the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we have this, this sure hope in Christ of forgiveness. But again, he still has to deal with the hypocrisy issue. So he picks it up in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2. And again, this is what John writes here. He says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. This is the first time in 1 John he uses this verb to know. He uses, this is a short letter, okay? Five chapters. Don't worry, we'll make it long. But, um, but five chapters, 25 times he's going to use this word. And I don't often throw those statistics at you, but I just want you to know it's important because the Gnostics, these false teachers, they were saying, we have the knowledge, and it's all about what you know. And John says, you can't have that word. You can't have, that's, that's Jesus's word. He claims that word to know. He says, we want that. He says, let's talk about what that really means to know God. You want to talk about knowledge, John says? Let's talk about knowledge. Verse 3, this is how we know that we know him, that we know that we have come to know him, some translations. This is how we know that we genuinely know God. If we can pass the doctrinal statement test, that's not what he says. If we know Greek and Hebrew and have been to seminary, nope. If we're a member of the right church, nope. If we dress nicer on Sunday morning, I just want to acknowledge some of you did that for Father's Day today. Good job. Way to go. Not as good as Mother's Day, honestly. Like Mother's Day, you, you bring your A game. Father's Day, it's like a, you know, but solid. Okay, well played. Is that how we know that we know him? Because we dress up on Sunday morning? No. This is how we know that we know him. The word of God here. If we keep his commands. Now listen, in our culture, we've gotten to a place where we're a little sensitive about the idea of commands, the topic of obedience and submission to Jesus. We get a little allergic to it. Like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. We just want to talk about love and, you know, heart and passion and all of that, which we'll get to that in a minute for sure. But listen, John says, you're not going to escape this truth. If you genuinely know God, then it will be seen in how you obey his commands. It is, he's not saying, if you obey his commands, then you'll be forgiven. He's not saying that's how you get into the family. You get into the family by grace. That's how you get into the family. We'll talk about that more this morning as he unpacks it. So we get into the family by grace. But if you're in the family, you live differently. There, there is a, a genuine change in your life. You will keep his commands. Not perfectly, but with growth, right, with steady progress, you will see that you will grow in keeping his commands, right? So the, he says, you can't say, I'm in the family, I know God, and then not keep his commands. That's not an option. We're talking about wholesale, like, life patterns here, not little stumbles here and there. We're talking about, you know, major patterns of sin and rejection of God's authority in our life. He says, if you claim it and you don't live under God's authority, that's a problem. If we keep his commands, that's a sign, one of the reasons why we could, we could conclude that we actually genuinely know God. He goes on in verse 4. 
He says, the one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. This is where John is warning and guiding us. He's not saying, you know what? It's really not that big of a deal. It's just something to keep your eye on. He says, if you say, I have come to know God, and you don't live differently, if there is no life change in you, if you live just like everybody else, right? If there's no distinctly Christian content in your living, he says, if that's you, you are a liar. And the truth, the truth about who God is, the truth about who you are, the truth of the gospel, it is not in you. You are deceived, John says. So, I mean... Those are heavy words, right? And he says, listen, church family, we don't want to play with this fire. Okay, we need to be upfront about what it means to believe the gospel, to be in relationship with God, to genuinely know God. It's got to hit you where you live. And you can't have it both ways. You can't claim to be a follower of Jesus and not actually be a follower of Jesus. He says, if you, are, if you claim to have come to know him, and yet you're not keeping his commands, then you are a liar. And it is possible that there may be some hearing this message, reading this passage, watching this service, that you are a liar. And the Spirit of God will convict you, and that is good. Be convicted. Let the Spirit lead you to repentance over hypocrisy, right? John says, we're not going to mess with this. Verse 5, the first half of verse 5, he says, But whoever keeps his word, now that's now synonymous with keeping his commands. Whoever keeps his word lives by the message, right? Whoever keeps his word truly in him, in that one, the love of God is made complete. Oh, this is so good. He says, let's talk about it positively because that's where we need to go. We need to go in the positive direction here. He says, here's the deal. Whoever whoever keeps his word, whoever does live under Jesus' authority, right? Whoever is actually genuinely following uh, Jesus and his commands, in that one, truly, he says, no deception here, truly, in that one, the love of God is made complete. There are two uh, ways we can understand the phrase love of God here, and they're probably both in play. Uh, The first is to understand the love of God as God's love for us, that God loves us. He's the source of that love. And so in that sense, God's love for us is made complete in our lives as we live in response to that love. And that is certainly true. Okay, God does love us, and a result of his love is that we are transformed in our lives. The other way to understand the, the phrase love of God, and I think this is the primary sense here, is that it's it's love for God which is a result of God's love for us. So we're going to get there in chapter 4. We love because he first loved us, right? So they go together. Uh, Those ideas are never separate. But here, I think what John is saying is, this is how it works. Truly, in this one who actually follows Jesus, love for God has been made complete in their lives. Meaning this. Meaning love for God has, has gone way past what we say we believe, and it has now changed what we actually do. His love for God has actually consumed my soul to the point that I now speak and act and live differently. This is, again, it's revolutionary. John's saying, you can't say, I know God, and then go do whatever you want. He says, if you actually do know God, and here, notice, he actually connects knowing God with having love for God, 
He says, if you actually know God, then you have love for God, and that love for God has totally revolutionized your life. Again, we understand that we're not perfect just yet. But we, but we say, here's the reality. God has changed me. And my response to his love, my love for him, my passion for him, my valuing of God, right? That has now, it's, it's bled over into, it spilled the banks of just what I say. And now it affects how I think about money and how I think about free time and how I think about my friendships and how I think about my marriage and my family. John says, here's the deal. You can't divorce or separate faith and love. Faith and love belong together. Faith and love belong together. You can't claim to have faith and not love God to the point that it doesn't change your life. He says that's not going to work. Faith and love belong together, together. Specifically, love for God. Specifically, first here, love for God. And you'll notice that in your handout this morning, the blanks are filled in for you. That's because some of us, sometimes we just can't do it on a Sunday, right? So we helped you out this morning, filled in those blanks. But faith and love belong together. Here at the outset, verses 3 through 5, we've got this concept of it's our love for God that transforms how we live. Knowledge for John here is not intellectual or speculative. It's not about knowing details or facts. Knowledge here is experiential and dynamic. Okay, it's experiential and dynamic. To try to understand how, how John's talking about knowledge, sometimes we think about knowledge like the Gnostics would. These secret details about the universe, and only they know them. And it's just about what you know. It doesn't matter how you live. John says, no, 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 that's not true knowledge. True knowledge is experiential. It's dynamic. It's transformative. So I thought of an example. Um, many years ago, Pastor Andy, Pat Walsh, uh, Lindsay, and I went to a Red Bulls soccer game. Um, and it was the end of the season. The Red Bulls were, you know, charging ahead towards the supporter shield, which means they were first place uh, in the regular season. You guys know that. I don't have to explain it. Anyway, uh, so the Red Bulls were playing uh, the Seattle Sounders, an always powerful, strong team. They were challenging them. They were like right neck and neck at the very end of the season. The stadium was packed. We accidentally bought seats right where all the crazy supporters are that like beat drums the whole game. It was awesome. Anyway, so we're at this game, and it was Andy and Pat's first Red Bulls game, and they were like, what is happening? I, they didn't even know. Anyway, so it turns out Red Bulls won the game 2-1. to one. Okay, you could know that. The next day, you could read on ESPN, oh, Red Bulls won 2-1. to one. You intellectually know that. Let me tell you something. We didn't know that. We lived it. <laughs> okay? Red Bulls scored in the first minute of the game. The place went crazy. The stadium was shaking. I was talking to Andy about it last night. We remember the stadium was shaking because of the cheering. Just everybody, they lost their minds. We took the lead right at the beginning of the game. We got a second goal later. Seattle got another goal back. It was a close game. The crowd was in it the whole time. And then with the final whistle blew, we secured first place. I mean, it's not, oh yeah, the Red Bulls won. No, we lived that victory. Like we were, we were there. And John says, here's the deal. Somebody is selling a version of Christianity where you go around saying, yeah, I know God. Yeah, Jesus died for my sins, rose from the dead. Yeah, like I know Jesus. Like, like it's just a fact. It's just information. And John says, that's not knowing God. He says, this is knowing God. When the, when the love of God is made complete in you, that's the one who's the real deal. When love for God just explodes any previous view you could have had on whatever the issue is that you're facing. And now, because you value God above all else, you live differently. 
My friend Jonathan Edwards, he, he loved to use this fountain image to try to get this point across. He said, if you imagine a God as a fountain, you can imagine love for God as the water in the fountain. And God's love, he loves uh, his own glory. And so that's right, that as a fountain, there's water in the fountain, that God values his own glory and greatness above all else. But that, that fountain, it's like the water overflows of the fountain and it goes into the streets. And in the streets, we experience the, the love for God, like the, the valuing of God's greatness by drinking of the fountain. And it's like we're participating with God and valuing him above everything else. And Edwards is like, God gets the glory, we get the benefit, and we're never the same. And John says, that's what we're talking about here. Love for God overflows in our lives. Now, sometimes we feel it. We feel it, right? Some days we're there. We're like, yeah, it's like that game. Like, man, I was, my heart's pounding. I feel that love for God. And, you know, John Calvin, my friend, he said that, well, he said it this way. He said, how is it possible for you to know God and be moved by no feeling? He's like, if you've never had passion for God, that's a problem. Like, you can't, it's just, it doesn't work. It's, then you don't really know God. You've never experienced it. Sometimes we feel it, and we, and we should, and we must. But sometimes, well, we're battling temptation, right? And what happens then? Well, then we have like a rival love, and we're tempted, and we're like, I know I love God, but right now I'm tempted to love this other thing more. And I'm, I'm tempted to believe a lie that this is better for me than walking in the light. And I'm tempted to believe that this is how I should spend my time. I'm tempted to excuse. I'm tempted to excuse using my language in this way, gossip, slander, harsh words, whatever. I'm, I'm tempted to do this on Friday night with those people. I'm tempted to think this way about my marriage, my family, whatever it is, right? And, we're, and there's another love, right, that gets in the way. And then in, our, in, in hard moments, we might not feel the love for God, but we choose to love God. That's the battleground. And so there's a recognition where John says here, listen, if somebody's telling you you can do whatever you want, it doesn't matter as long as you have knowledge. He's like, that is not going to work. He said, faith and love, they belong together. And love for God, right, that's the starting point for us. And when we don't feel it, we choose it. I wonder this morning if you thought, just for a minute, if you just thought about your life and asked this question, what does your behavior say about your claim to faith? I wonder where you'd get. What does my behavior say about my claim to be a follower of Jesus? And I'm sure there are many places where we've seen victory and growth and where we say, yes, there's evidence there of my faith is legitimate. But there might, might be other places where we say, you know what? There's a red flag there. It's not consistent. I'm not walking as a follower of Jesus. I, I'm not... The, the love of God has not been made complete in me in that area. So we can ask that question, and that's a way of, of really inviting the Spirit of God to show us where we need to grow. Don't be afraid to ask it. It's okay. Say, God, show me where I need to grow. Now, the other question is, if I'm not feeling love for God, how can I grow in that love for God? How, how can I actually foster that love? And there are a lot of ways we can do this. I'll give you some. You can brainstorm others later. But the first thing in growing in our love for God is to get to know God better. 
So while this love is experiential, it is not devoid of facts. There are details about God that he reveals to us in his word that we need to know that are meant to be uh, fuel for the fire in loving him. And so if you're not loving God, there may be a connection there. Like, I I don't have a lot of love for God. Maybe it's because I'm I'm not relating to God enough. I don't know him well enough. I need to read his word. I need to think about who he has shown himself to be. I need to talk about that with others, right? So don't neglect the Bible. It It is an eternal treasure gifted to us to help us love God, right? So, so go to God's word. Confess. Be ready and willing to confess your struggle to love God in prayer. Go to God and, and in prayer, God, I am struggling to love you right now. I am tempted to love this more, whatever it is. Lord, help me love you. Again, we're going to learn later in chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. This is what God is in the business of doing and changing our lives and doing this miracle of, of causing us to grow spiritually. Don't be afraid to confess that struggle to him to prayer and to ask for his help. Another way we can foster greater love for God is to cling to the Christian community, cling to the church, right? Sometimes we just need to hear other people say it. Sometimes we just need to hear other people sing it. Sometimes we just need to be around other believers, and I say sometimes, like a lot of the time, right? We need the constant reminder that, hey, God is at work. And when we see each other, right, we see evidence of others in whom the love of God is made complete, right? Love, passion for God has transformed their lives. And yes, they're not perfect, but man, they're going. And I can take encouragement from them. I can learn from them. I can walk with them and I can help them on days when they're struggling. We got to cling to this community. That's how God designed the church to work. It's not optional for us to be in relationship to one another. It's absolutely essential. We've got to value that. And then, Maybe one last way, again, there's many more we could add, but I would just say on days when we're struggling to feel that love for God and and we want to grow in that love, sometimes by making the decision to obey his commands, sometimes that act in and of itself actually fosters greater love for God. Sometimes there's a moment when we say, I'm not feeling it today, but I am going to choose to do what God has called me to do. And sometimes the result of that is God, we see God's faithfulness. In, in obedience, and we see how uh, obedience to his commands actually results in positive results in our lives. And so, wow, God's glory is displayed as we live for him. And it's like, wow, I can actually grow in my love for God by choosing to follow his commands. Now, of course, there's always an important question of why do we obey, but we have to acknowledge that some days we don't feel like it. And it's important for us to, to, to understand that love for God can push us to say, you know what, even though I'm not feeling it today, I choose to walk in the light today. Listen, faith and love belong together. And love for God has to transform us. If it doesn't, then our claim, right, our claim to know him is highly suspect. Thankfully, we're not left to walk aimlessly. We have a king, a leader, and a model in Jesus. Watch the rest of verse 5 on into verse 6. In verse 5 again, chapter 2, John writes, But whoever keeps his word truly in that one, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. I love it. John says, you want to (laughs) know? Let's talk about knowledge, right? This is how we know we are in him. How? Verse 6. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. You're like, okay, I get it. 
we can't claim to be a Christian and not live like one. That's fine. But what are we even talking about over here? I mean, isn't that just like very nebulous, like do whatever, you, I mean, whatever feels right to you or something like that? And John says, listen, no, here's how it works. If we know him, verse, again, the end of verse 5, right? This is how we know we are in him, okay? This is how we know we're in him. What do we do? If we say we remain in him, that means if we continue or we have a, a continuing relationship with him by faith, which, of course, Christians do. He says, if that's you, then we should walk just as he walked. And just don't forget, this is the Apostle John writing, who walked with Jesus, who spent time with Jesus traveling around, witnessing Jesus' miracles, having side conversations with Jesus, seeing Jesus heal people and teach, right? And ultimately, seeing Jesus go to the cross. In fact, the Apostle John was one of the only, potentially the only male disciple who was there at the cross at the end. I mean, you think about that. He, he lived it. And John says, you want to know what you're called to? He says, we should walk as Jesus walked. Faith and love belong together. Well, what does that love look like? Well, we should love like Jesus's love. Again, this is not the basis of having a relationship with Jesus. It's the result of having a relationship with Jesus. So we don't say, listen, if you want to be a part of the church, if you want to be saved, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, you better get your act together. You better get, your, you know, get yourself in line, and maybe then we'll let you in, and maybe then God will forgive you. No, no, no. <laughs> this is all post-transformation. John says, we know we're in him, not because we earned the right to be there, because God's grace has transformed our lives, and then there's evidence. And so this living like Jesus is the evidence or the result of having a relationship with Jesus as our master, as our Lord, as our King. Faith and love belong together. We should love like Jesus loved or like Jesus's love. Okay, so this is coming from John, who wrote in the gospel of John, we have observed his glory, the glory of God expressed in Jesus incarnate. We have observed his glory full of grace and truth. John says, this is what we're called to. You want to know what you're called to? We live and walk like Jesus, full of grace and truth. Well, what does that look like specifically? I just I want to pick out a couple of examples from the Gospel of John to help us because sometimes it's nice to have some of those clear you know, pictures of what does it look like to, to live full of grace and truth. You might remember in John 4 when Jesus interacted with the Samaritan woman at the well. Long story short here, he shouldn't have been in that neighborhood. He shouldn't have been talking to that woman. Okay, That was the attitude of the day. But Jesus was willing to take time to talk to a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman. And so Jesus talks with this woman, and this conversation, it is full of grace and truth. Jesus talks with her. He starts to talk about, you know, the spiritual truth. And in the midst of that conversation, Jesus brings up the fact that she has had five husbands, and the man she's living with now isn't her husband. I mean, he calls out very clearly, this is your sin. I see it all, right? And so in that moment, yeah, there's truth. But then what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't just condemn her and say, you're out. Too bad. You blew it. Jesus says, I am actually, he points her to himself. He says, I am actually the one who's come to answer this problem, the, the problem of true worship, the problem that you're facing in your life right now, he says. And she starts talking, are you talking about the Messiah? And Jesus says, it's so great. He says, I, the one I'm speaking to you, I am he. I'm the Messiah. He just says it point blank. And he's saying to her, follow me. 
believe in me. And she goes and tells everybody and nobody was ever the same, right? I mean, that's, that's John 4. So this is the, the moment where Jesus lives out grace and truth. I, I wonder, in your life, in your relationships with others, are those relationships filled with grace and truth? Where, yeah, you're not going to candy coat things. You're not going to hide the truth from people. But at the same time, you're not going to act like you're the judge of the universe. You come and you say, hey, listen, this is who we are. This is who God is. And this is his love for us, right? You have an opportunity to invest in people that others might look past, that others might ignore. And there might be people at your workplace, people in your neighborhood, right? The sketchy house that nobody wants to go to on Halloween, like that, you know, that situation, right? There might be people at school, that all the other kids ignore, right? They're not the popular ones. Maybe they're the Samaritans of your world. And what does Jesus do with those folks? He takes time to invest in them and to love them. That's one example of how Jesus lived out this special love. You could tell you about John 5, how Jesus takes time to heal the paralytic who was waiting for this you know, pagan ritual to heal him at the pool. And Jesus just says, nope, I got this. Get up and walk. Take your mat. Get out of here. You can tell you about John 9 with the man born blind, where Jesus heals him kind of in stages and just totally transforms the guy's life. And the guy's getting, you know, he's getting reamed and, and interviewed by the, uh, the religious leaders of the day, and they're mad at Jesus for healing him. And he's like, you guys are missing the point. I was blind. Now I can see. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Like, that's, that's life-changing, right? And Jesus takes time to invest in those people. I mean, you know, sometimes we see Jesus do that. I mean, I thought about the long day of ministry example where Jesus had a really long day. People kept coming to him. Have you ever had one of those with a really long day? And you're like, I'm done. And your kids are like, no, you're not. <laughs> or you, gotta, you get the text from the friend. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm not done. I thought, and Jesus just, he just kept going that day. What a great example to us of love. But, you know, you keep reading John, and you're going to get to John 13. In that moment, Jesus is gathered with his disciples. They're not like top students, right? They, didn't, they haven't gotten a lot of it. And there's one there who will betray him, Judas. Jesus gets down on his knees and washes their feet. And John says, if we say we remain in him, right, then we walk as he walked. I don't know what prevents you from love, but most of the time, it's just selfishness. And Jesus is the only one in the universe who had the right to say, I, I don't have to love you. But Jesus says, I choose to love you. And he is our model in this. He is our example. And so we look to him and we can say, wow, this is what God has called us to do. He's called us to not just say we know him, but to be transformed by love for him and to follow his example of loving others. Most days, this is the struggle. It's that love for others, the love for people that's a challenge. Watch verse 7 as John, he, now he gets into the details on this side of the coin. He says, dear friends, okay, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old command that you have had from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard or the message you have heard. John says, listen, all this, this is not new information. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find it there. 
that the calling is to love God with all that we are and, and secondarily to love others as a result of our love for God. So that's not new information. John says, you've had that information. So that's, it's not new to you. And that's consistent with the message that they preached, that the apostles were preaching to these folks that had first believed. He says, yeah, this is not new information. But watch verse 8. He says, but yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You might be thinking of Jesus' words again in John 13, where he says, that he says, I'm giving you a new command. Well, it's new, but it's not new. It's consistent with God's previous revelation. It's found in the Old Testament. Jesus tells him, you want me to summarize the law? I'll summarize the law. Love God, love people. There it is, right? But he says, I am giving you a new command. And John picks up on that here. And he says, yes, it is a new command. Why? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. It's new because the incarnation has revealed to us what it really looks like to live out love for God and love for others. And John focuses here on love for others. Because again, on a daily basis, that's our struggle. Watch verse 9. Okay, the, the darkness is passing away. Jesus has come. The true light is shining. All right, very good. The prophecies in Isaiah, those have come true. All right, verse 9. The one who says he is in the light, but hates his brother or sister, is in the darkness until now. John says, let's, let's cut to the chase here. If you claim to be in the light, okay, and yet you hate, and by brother or sister just means another person here, he says, if you hate these other people and you claim to be in the light, he says, you're actually in the darkness because faith and love belong together. And faith and, hope, faith and hate never belong together. It doesn't work. He says, if you claim to be in the light and you hate your brother or sister, you're in the darkness. Verse 10 states it positively. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. John says, this is what we were made for. Faith and love belong together. So yes, we know God. There's evidence of that. And now we love God and that changes how we treat people. Instead of hating them, we, we choose to love them. Following Jesus's model, walking as he walked. So we love them, even though they're difficult to love some days, all days. Even though we might uh, be influenced by the culture not to love them. Even though they may have wronged us or we may be critical of them. Nonetheless, the one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light. And then he says there's no cause for stumbling in him. What does he mean there? The idea here is that when we choose to love, we remove obstacles, right, for spiritual growth in our lives and in the lives of others. So he's going to do this light-darkness thing. And some of us have had the joy of waking up in the middle of the night and, um, and having certain members of our family who will remain nameless, my children, who... Uh, have left things around where they're not supposed to go. Everything has a place, okay? Put it in its place. It's Father's Day, just putting it out there. And, um, and you know, it's the renegade Lego piece or like it's like a, a hoverboard. I don't know. I'm just picking random examples. And, you know, you're walking through the house, and, of course, it's the middle of the night, so you don't have shoes on. Who sleeps with their shoes on? Nobody does that. So you're walking around in your bare feet or whatever, and you step on that Lego piece, right? And you're, you're stumbling, right? And you're, oh, and now you've tripped here, right? It's making your way in the dark, but you can't see everything, and so there's pain, and there's, you know, you're tripping up and all of that. And John says, listen, when we hate, when we fail to love, we create these stumbling blocks. And 
essentially, if we claim to be in the light and we don't love God and we don't love people, then we're in the darkness, okay, causing people to stumble, contributing to the problem, wandering around, okay, blind. But Jesus says in verse 10, or John says in verse 10, building on what Jesus had explained to him, he says, the one who loves others, that one remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Cause for stumbling for himself or cause for stumbling for others. It's like, this is how it's supposed to be when we love each other. Verse 11, he comes back to the, to the negative side of it. He says, but the one who hates his brother or sister, the one who hates others, is in the darkness. They walk in the darkness, right? Walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Don't miss the irony here. The Gnostics claim special knowledge. We know we're the only ones that really know. We're the ones that actually have the information, the secret, you know, super special club. Doesn't matter how you live, it's just what you know. And John says, you know what? You're in the dark. You walk in the dark. You don't know where you're going. And the darkness has blinded you. And they were showing up at a Christian church. John says, this is not going to work. He says, we are, not, we are not going to perpetuate this lie that says, as long as you check a doctrinal box, it doesn't matter how you live. He says, as long as you are a member of the right church, then you can justify hatred of other people. That, that is not going to work. And I will, be, I will be the first to confess that, man, it is hard sometimes for us. Because sometimes the people we hate are the people we're close to. I mean, sometimes the people that are close to us, they can wrong us and hurt us deeply. And sometimes that, those wounds run deep, right? And so sometimes we hate the people that we live with. Sometimes, though, we hate people because they're in a category, right? So we just, we lump them in a category and it's their, it's their ethnic group or it's their, uh, you know, class of people. It's their socioeconomic class. If they went to that school, they, they vote this way in the election or this political party, right? And we hate those people. And that doesn't mean that we have to love everything about them and that everything they do is right. But John says, if we don't love those people, we got a problem here. We've got a problem. You ever had one of those meetings where you had to like talk through a difficult issue with someone and that person loved you so much that it infuriated you? No. <laughs> no. That doesn't, that's not a thing. Because you can go in a meeting with someone who, you, who has an issue with you or whatever. You can go to that meeting, and when love is, is, in that, is in that moment, that relationship, it doesn't solve all problems easily, but I'll tell you what, love changes things. And John says, this is what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to love others. Because faith and love belong together. Love for God, yes. Love like Jesus' love, absolutely. Love for others, specifically love that manifests itself in ways that we treat others. It is a new command, in a sense, because we see it in the incarnation, okay? Uh, Jesus fulfilled it by his life, death, and resurrection. But thirdly, he enables us now to live the new command of love by gifting us his Holy Spirit and, and giving us his word. So Jesus hasn't left you without clarity on what he calls you to. He's like, here are the marching orders, gave it through the apostles. Here's the spirit of God to equip you to actually live differently. Let's go. And the people who claim to be in the light but are actually living in the darkness, that's not going to work. We can't be content with that in ourselves, and we certainly need to be warned against it as a church. See, this love for others, it's the old command, but it's made new in Christ. 
And John says, that's what we need. This faith and love belonging together. You know, my friend Calvin, again, he talked about a fictitious sanctity that dazzled the eyes of men. Sometimes we're good at that. Fake holiness, fictitious sanctity. You know, you stroll, you stroll around and you have that aura of holiness, right? But he said, fictitious sanctity that dazzled the, dazzles the eyes of men is nothing when love is neglected. You can dress up for Sunday morning all you want. If you don't love people, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter how long you've attended church, how much money you've given. It doesn't matter what family you come from, again, your education level, whatever. It does not matter because if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you walk in the light, right, if you're in the light, then you will walk in the light. And if you don't, then there's a claim, there's a problem with that claim. So think about it. How do you do loving others? How about your family? Don't tell them now, but how about your family, right? Who do you struggle with? Maybe it's friends. Maybe there's broken relationships and friendships that have gone sour. There's bitterness there, a lingering wound. What's your opportunity to show love there, to pursue reconciliation? Maybe, maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor. You know, the thing about coworkers, neighbors, and even strangers, we have opportunities to love them. Often we don't have close enough relationships to really be hurt by them, but we have an opportunity to show them love. Sometimes you have a coworker or, or a neighbor again, and you might just you can just see it that they're just having a hard time. It's in their body language, it's in their tone of voice. Do you ever think the fact that maybe God put you in that neighborhood? He put you in that cubicle so that you could love them? Because they're walking in darkness, they're walking around in the dark, groping. They they don't have the light. But Jesus sent you to show them love. Sometimes we're just annoyed by other people when in reality we're called to treasure them and value them. In fact, I know people in this room could tell stories of how somebody showed them that love and that was what introduced them to the gospel. Somebody actually finally cared. Again, it could be strangers. Selfishness is going to tell you, no, I don't need to do that. I'm good. I went to church on Sunday. That was my good deed. And John says, no way. If we are in the light, we walk in the light. We would be genuinely transformed. And even as a, as a church community, you know, this love for others, this is why we stay so long after church to talk. This is why we invite each other over into our homes like we're family. This is why we invest relationally in one another and spend extra time serving one another. There is no other bond that we have other than the bond we have in Christ. But here's the thing, that bond is eternal. So there's a, there's a genuine transformation of the community of the church that actually allows us to value each other from all different places, all different backgrounds. Even people from the West Coast can be accepted in churches. <laughs> I was, we were talking about it last night, uh, the Elder Day Away with Pastor Andy and Lori, but I said, you know, if you put a lineup of people that I would be friends with, and you put Andy there with one of those Green Bay Packers, you know, <laughs> sweaters on, I said, I'd never pick him out of the lineup, not once. <laughs> There's no way. But today, he'd be my first choice. That's what God does in the church. What is that? that that's the transformed community of people whose love for God is now affecting how they view other people, right? It's not about who's like me, who's cool. It's not about how old are they. It's, no, it's about we are in the family of Christ. We're together. So we prioritize one another in our time and our energy efforts. We're, we're a different kind of family because of what Jesus has done for us. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not exactly dark-complexioned. 
okay? I know it's a shock to some of you. Um, when, when people of lighter complexion spend time at the beach, uh, it shows, okay? Um, and I, I would love to tell you that at this stage of life, you know, I'm solid into my 40s here, I would have learned to put on sunscreen regularly, and sometimes I don't. And so usually, it's usually early in the year, and I'll show up at, at the church for work, or I'll, I'll show up somewhere, and people go, oh, Pastor Ryan, somebody was at the beach, you know, like, because I'm, I'm radiating red off of my face and my, you know, balding head and my ears, probably. Uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. But it's evidence that something happened, right? Like, that's the deal. Um, did you know in the Old Testament, there's a scene, like, kind of similar analogy to that with Moses? Moses, he had the privilege of being in direct relationship to God. I mean, talk about fellowship with him. Talk about walking in the light or being in the light. Talk about knowing God. Moses, it's interesting the way the Old Testament uh, words that he had face-to-face, you know, relationship with God. But Moses, the first time he didn't know, he comes down off the mountain in Exodus 34. Okay, it's interesting. Verse 29, he comes down. He did not know that his face was shining. His face was shining because he had been in the presence of God, and God's glory had so impacted him, even physically. He came down from the mountain, and his face was shining. And they were like, what happened to you? Well, yeah, I've been with God. That's what happened, right? So then he would, he would meet with God regularly in the, in the tabernacle, and when he did that, he would, he would come out, and his face would be shining. So he had to wear a veil over his face, because I guess it was either too much for people to take or whatever, you know, whatever the deal was. But at the end of the day, in Exodus 34, we read, it says, the Israelites would see Moses' face was radiant. He couldn't hide the fact that he was in relationship with God. Is that us? Are we the people who have been with God to the point that, right, our faces are radiant? That it shows in our words. It shows in how we handle the problems in our families. It shows in how we do our schoolwork and how we go, go to work and how we handle traffic and how we deal with the problem person at the office, right? It shows in how we navigate financial ups and downs and job loss and market changes and all these things. It shows in how we deal with sickness and how we think about politics and how we approach retirement. But we're different. We're radiant, not because we've done it ourselves, but because God has transformed us. And if we claim to have been with him and there's no difference in our lives, we need to ask the question, have I ever really known God? There's an opportunity here for us to grow. There's an opportunity to address hypocrisy. Most of all, there's an opportunity for us to rightly value loving God and loving others. Why? Because faith and love belong together. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help this morning um, with a, a full confession that we struggle. We struggle many days, every day, to love you. Lord, and we confess you are infinitely lovely. You are beautiful in ways that we will spend eternity enjoying. And Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to rightly value your glory today to drink from the fountain. Lord, we also confess that we struggle to love others out of selfishness. We don't want to pay the costs. And we thank you for, Lord Jesus, not only dying for our sins and rising from the dead, but also giving us the model for what it looks like to live in the light. 
Lord, I pray as we certainly would be convicted over areas of hypocrisy in our lives, I pray for your help. I pray that your spirit would lead us to repent of those sins and to to be assured in forgiveness because you are our advocate with, with the Father. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not be afraid to confess those sins, but to be willing to call them what they are. Lord, we also pray for further equipping to walk by faith. Lord, if there are those who are, are here this morning, those who are watching and they, they have been exposed by this passage, that they claim faith, but their lives show no change, Lord, I pray that they would today repent of their sin and turn to you for the first time. I pray that you would do that work in them and glorify yourself by doing it. Lord, in all of this, we confess that this new way of living, this love for you and love for others, this is not something that we can artificially create, but it's something that you do to us in the gospel. And we thank you that no matter who we are and where we've struggled in the past, as long as we're drawing breath, we have the opportunity to confess our sins, to turn to you in faith, and to grow in walking in the light. Lord, we thank you that your acceptance of us is not based on our performance, but rather based on your grace, and that by your grace, we can actually be changed. So please help us to walk as those who are in the light, because we genuinely, truly know you. We ask these things based on Jesus' death on our behalf and his resurrection. Amen.